This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And welcome again to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman. Joining me right now is Dan Crawford from HamiN.com and also from the Green Pole Podcast. This episode, Dan and I are going to preview the upcoming match for Fulham against Southampton at Craven College on Saturday. I look forward to getting Dan's thoughts on this match. Along with that, hoping to have a guest at the bottom of the hour to talk a little Southampton with us, uh, a member from a podcast that covers Southampton. Hopefully he'll be joining us at the bottom of the hour. But beforehand, we have a lot to talk about. It has been a long time, Dan, since you've been on the podcast. Dan, welcome back to Cottage Talk. Thanks, Russ. Always a pleasure. I don't think you've had me since um, the first day of last season. Um, And uh, too much time has gone by and Fulham have been very good. So maybe I shouldn't appear on this podcast and and (laughs) we could go through the whole of 2023 unbeaten as well. Um, anyway, no, it looked great to be with you, mate. Listen, Dan, it's uh, an honor having you on, and I've said this several times. I even tweeted this out recently. Cottage Talk doesn't go as long as it has without you, you know, especially when Kyle Bond, who actually wrote a very nice article, I hope everyone reads it in Sporting News. I was doing it with him originally, and Kyle moved away at the time to Perth, Australia, and you stepped in and you helped keep it going and actually helped it thrive. So thank you, Dan. It wasn't just me. You put in most of the work, but there are many other co-hosts that you've had yes. uh, through, through the time. Indeed, uh, we, we were talking about it just before we began going live. You know, I had a, a conversation with one of your, your co-hosts. Um, only I, I forget what all the days are after Christmas. Some some time between Boxing Day and now, uh, you know. I don't know about you. I, uh, I had a, anyway. I had a conversation with uh, Max Cohen, um, yep. a, a great guy, just tremendously Fantastic. positive about everything. And he has, um, you know, we I got to know Max through through uh, having discussions with you on this show. So it's always great to be back, my friend. Oh well, it's. Like I said, great to have you back. Unfortunately, I want to talk about two sad subjects. We're going to talk about the passings of Pele and George Cohen. 
Let's start actually with Pele, and then we'll talk a little bit about George Cohen. I talked about him on a prior episode, but I want to talk about Pele, and I learned something about Pele that I did not know, Dan, your connection to Pele. I listened to the Green Pole podcast, so if someone has listened to that, I'm sorry if you're going to hear a little bit of the same story, but I want to get your thoughts about how you struck up a, a relationship with Pele and obviously the sad news that he passed away. Well, let's start with the most important thing. I mean, there is no, um, there is no doubt in my mind that Pele is simply the greatest footballer to have graced the earth. You know, I haven't seen all the footballers on the earth, um, and I obviously didn't see Pele. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not old enough to to have seen him play. Um, but he, he, there is just no argument about um, both his skills as a footballer and his transformational effect on on the game. Um, particularly uh, being a man born in real poverty in, in Brazil and what he did for the Brazilian nation, both outside of sport um, and and through his sport. And the story is very simple, um, Russ. I, with some school friends, had a um, sports newspaper. It's quite quite funny. Um, we, we fancied ourselves as entrepreneurs in high school. And uh, one of my friends... Uh, well, I'm not going to embarrass them, but anyway, they supported two of the other teams in West London <laughs> that I'm not going to name. Okay, not not the not 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 the one that I really don't like that we can't name. But the okay. other two, one one of them is in the Premier League, and Alexander Mitrovic scored a last-minute header against them. And uh, one of them played last night, and Stefan Johansson plays for them, although not at the moment. Um, so regular, you know, Fulham fans will know the two teams that I'm talking about. And so we got together and each of us would do a match report from the match that we'd been at. Um, and we would go home, print out the, the newspaper, get all the full-time scores and go to the train stations and sell this newspaper. It's in the days before the internet, smartphones, anything like that. And there used to be a tradition, sort of in the 1970s, you'd have like an evening newspaper at six o'clock on a Saturday that would give the full-time scores. Anyway, um, it got quite popular uh, ridiculously quickly because lots of men were taken shopping by their wives and vice versa, it has to be said, and couldn't go to the football and therefore they needed to see the results and, you know, you didn't have the internet. So anyway, um, we went and sold it at a party where loads of advertising executives were unbeknown to us and uh, people were very impressed and so somebody from Saatchi and Saatchi phoned my house phone and asked my mother if Daniel would like to interview uh, Pele and wow. Eddie Jordan, or, or Eddie Jordan of Jordan, what, what was Jordan Formula One racing. Um, they're, they're no longer Jordan Formula One racing, but they were one of the leading British teams for a while. And my mother put the phone down. She said, you know, there's no need to prank a young boy by, by sort of <laughs> ringing up. And, and uh, they actually got in contact with my school to say, you know, I think there was a problem. Uh, we would like to ask uh, Dan to, to conduct an interview with these people for BBC Children in Need, which is a show that goes out uh, every winter to encourage people to support 
um, young children or families with um, difficulties because their children are disabled or in need of sort of care for life-changing conditions, cancer, leukaemia, you know, conditions where children may not even recover. Um, and it's a, it's a thing that goes out at Christmas. Anyway, eventually, once, I, once we got over the miscommunication, of course you jumped at the chance to interview Pele. I mean, what a ridiculous... You know, <laughs> they shouldn't even have to ask the question. Um, anyway, I was sort of... This was right after the 1998 World Cup um, in, in Golden Square in London, Sartre and Sartre's headquarters. And anyway, everything that Pele says was carried live on Brazilian television. Um, this was carried live on on uh, on the BBC News, whatever their channel was called. It wasn't called BBC News 24 then. And they didn't tell me, but also live on Sky News. And they, they didn't tell oh. me any of this. So, you know, but anyway, they were sufficiently concerned that, you know, I might fluff my lines or, or whatever. And so Pele just ad-libbed a bit in the introduction and then said, well, before Dan asks his question, Questions. I'd like to ask, um, who do you, you know, which football team do you support? And so I told him, and he said, Fulham, this is fantastic. I played at Craven Cottage for Santos in 1973. That's it's the fantastic. only London ground. It's the only London ground I played at, and I <laughs> loved it. I loved Craven Cottage. Full of, you know, the fans were there. They cheered me. I was worried about how I was going to be received in London because I played in the 1966 World Cup, didn't do very well. And they loved me. It was wonderful. And I've always loved Fulham. And he was very... It was, I was only meant to have five minutes myself with him because all the other journalists wanted to speak to Pelé, and <laughs> clearly, you know. And he stayed for five hours, you know, wow. talking to other journalists. But he gave me five hours. And I got a great exclusive for my little sports newspaper. And he's covered it. And, you know, God bless Pelé. He sent me a Christmas card that, that, that year. And every year um, since, until last year, and they were always in English, and last year he sent me a Christmas card um, that was in Portuguese. Right. And I, and I thought, okay, well, my Portuguese is passable, um, but not good enough. So I got someone to translate it, and it said, it, the normal message was there, and then the last sentence said, please congratulate Marco Silva on a fantastic first six months at my favourite London football club. Wow. Come on, you white! They translated "Come on, you whites" into Portuguese. That is incredible. Whatever was closest to it, um, and there you are. Um, and I would just say he had no reason to keep in touch with me, and you know, because Pele it was a global superstar, but he was just an absolute gentleman. And I was sort of 12, 13 years old. And it's a memory that myself and my family and, you know, we'll, we'll have for our whole life. And they may a scout for Fulham in, 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 in Brazil and South America for a little while. Um, and he, he was just a remarkable man. I was fortunate enough to meet him once more. Um, and clearly he was in failing health for, 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 for some time. Um, but yeah, he's, he's an incredible guy, and uh, we're very great. You know, it, it, it's just even now when I'm telling you about it, Russ, it's sort of what, gosh, it's twenty, nearly twenty, it's twenty-five years later, <laughs> and I still don't believe it actually happened. Um, it's so, wonderful, Dan. And there you are. The type of person he is, and you are too. That you obviously have kept this friendship. I know we're talking about. Christmas cards, but he doesn't probably do that just for anyone. So the impact you had on him was pretty 
obvious there because he doesn't keep in contact with you if he didn't feel that way about you. He was very special, and he he um, he was kind enough to sign a, a Brazil shirt for me that that um, ha- that's, that hangs in another part of my uh, of my house, and, and it will do, and it, ever so nice. And you know, he was like that to most people. It is not a uh, a uncommon an uncommon story uh, shop, swapping stories with people who are fortunate enough to meet Pele. But the Fulham connection is is just brilliant. That's know. fantastic. You know, <laughs> I- it, it is fantastic. And that was, you know, again, when I heard it this morning, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to talk to Dan about this because I thought it was uh, unbelievable and, and just such an honor for for you and uh, to have that memory. And like you said, 25 years later, like it was yesterday. Uh, so um, I wanted to start by talking about Pele. But I also want to talk about, and I mentioned this already about George Cohen. I want to get your thoughts on the impact he had at the club and what he means to the club. Well, I mean, I don't think I can add any more to to what's already been said. And, you know, again, it's important for me to reference the fact that I didn't see George Cohen play, you know. Um, and, and that's very obvious from the age that I am. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we can't, or I can't speak about the the qualities of George Cohen because I came to know him in his life. He was a match day host. Um, uh, at Fulham Football Club, and indeed in lots of the uh, charity work, he's uh, a proud trustee of the Bobby Moore um, Cancer Fund, which raised money for cancer research in light of Bobby Moore's ca- and cancer diagnosis. And George Cohen beat cancer uh, several, at least twice. Um, and he was a very brave man, and I, I was um, very involved in in the Bobby Moore, uh, and still am involved in the Bobby Moore Fund because uh, it's very important that we continue to not only carry out that very important medical research but support the legacy of, of Bobby Moore, right? uh, another Fulham great, uh, even though we didn't have him for quite as long as George Cohen. You know, He was at West Ham but he saw the light and, and, and came to Craven Cottage and played a part in in uh, in some successful times but George I got to know through through his charity work and he in very similar and and George and and Pele were um, as I understand it reasonably close themselves um, in terms of because uh, they they were they played against each other um, briefly uh, for England and Brazil um, and I like to think as I, as I said uh, elsewhere, I do like to think that they're having a conversation right now about um, winning the World Cup, and uh, that's very nice. But um, George was a, an incredible guy, a, a character who um, gave everything on the field. That, that was quite clear. But he genuinely loved, he genuinely loved Fulham Football Club. He genuinely loved people, and he would speak to anybody who wished to speak to him. You know, much to the consternation of his family and and friends, particularly in later days when you know George was not in the best of health and and, right. and need, needed to um, be be careful. But if somebody wished to speak to George, um, then he would make time for them, regardless of who they were, because he recognised, much like Johnny Haynes, that he was fortunate to play football. And he was fortunate to play for Fulham. And for a lot of younger supporters, he made time to, you know, I was fortunate enough to sit with uh, George Cohen for an hour. would have been about six years ago now. And uh, he just shared 
um, memories of, of with me personally of playing with Johnny Haynes, winning the World Cup, everything. And then we very much talked about Slavisa Jakanovic and the team, <laughs> and you know how we were going to get out of the blooming championship, and you know was Ryan was he going to play Ryan Sessegnon, and was Ryan Sessegnon going to you know is he going to be the next great player? And George Cohen said he's got everything. He can be as good as you know he's going to make, make his debut at sixteen. He's beaten me. He's beaten Johnny Haynes, you know, and he can go right to the very top. And I think we're gradually seeing that with Ryan now, even although he's not playing for Fulham, we should still be very proud of, uh, of Ryan's emergence. And I think, you know, George, George is just a, fun, uh, 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 a wonderful man. He has a tremendous legacy, of course, because not only did he win the, the, World, the Football World Cup, his nephew, Ben Cohen, won the Rugby World Cup for England. Wow. Um, and, and that is unique. Okay, so, um, but he leaves a huge legacy as a as a as a, having played his whole entire career at Fulham, turned down offers to go elsewhere, then um, then dedicated himself in the community with charity work and through his family to be a match day host and make sure everyone had a great time. I mean that is very clear in terms of the people who sampled the hospitality. Uh, Fulham Football Club that they all had days that they would uh, George and Daphne his wife took great care as a team in making sure that anyone who went into the George Cohen suite you know had a special day to remember whether they were going for the first time and only time in their lives or whether they were regulars didn't matter you know it was important to them that they had the special Cohen hospitality and having received the Cohen hospitality myself in a different setting um, I can say that, you know, it was first class and, you know, he is Fulham through and through. And I know that we'll do him proud tomorrow yes. and go and going forward. You know, this is very important that it's not just tomorrow, you know, a nice applause for both George and, and Pele, but that, you know, George Cohen, Johnny Haynes, the figures of Fulham's past are properly honoured in a way that um, educates people about, about their 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 um, contribution to the football club, yep. uh, and keeps those legacies alive because that's really important. Dan, I want to ask you this, and again, I've not heard any of this. I've only just seen comments on social media. Do you think, at some point, the club might consider naming the Riverside Stand after George Cohen? Do you think they should? I think we have to be. Look, I don't want to sit here and say. The football club should should or shouldn't do something okay. um, at the moment because you know first of all it's a very raw time for for George's family. Um, they need you know anything that carries George's name would need to be approved by the family, um, and I can't see why they wouldn't approve of something like that. I I would say to you that I'm quite attracted to a different idea, which is and it's just one that I've been playing around with. So you've already got the Johnny Haynes stand. Right. Yes, we've renamed the Stephen Road as the, as the Johnny Haynes stand. You've got Craven Cottage. Um, there's a lovely story in, in the obituaries that um, George was attracted to coming to Craven Cottage as to watch and chose Craven Cottage because he could bunk in over the Putney end, what was then the Putney end, and not pay. Right, he could climb over the fence right. and get in. Right, I like the idea that the the Johnny Haynes stand, the Craven Cottage, and then um, the George Cohen stand at the Putney end. Oh, right? okay. Because that used to be the home the home end back in the 
back in the day when George when That's actually when a very good playing. idea then. Now now that way he's close to you've then got two stands that are next to each other, separated by Craven Cottage. And the Riverside stand, I mean look, clearly there's a sort of revenue and commercial implication about about the Riverside stand. I don't know what the club wants to do. Gen- genuinely I don't know. Genuinely right. I, I think the club will need to do something, something very special to commemorate George Cohen. He's already got a statue, right? And, and the issue is, um, we're going to run out of we're going to run out of naming opportunities very quickly if we start, you know. Uh, and I think it needs to be appropriate, but we need to look at it in the in the cold light of day. And I wouldn't like to say one way or the other exactly what we should do until George's family, who is still grieving, right have the opportunity to sit down and think and reflect on all the tributes that have been paid to their husband, their father, their uncle, our friend, our great Fulham legend. Because you'll remember, Ross, that we took some time as a football club to name the Johnny Haynes stand after Johnny, after he passed away. And we took some time to construct a statue for Johnny. And we took some time to fundraise for all of those things. And we had to do it appropriately. And there are all right. sorts of things you have to do with regards to licenses and everything like that. And I just, I just think it's appropriate to pause and think about what is the best way and what is the way that we can make sure that we commemorate all of our players appropriately and continue that support for them. Now, clearly we want to do something special for George. But, you know, we only have four stands. Right. And, you know, you'll understand why I am particularly t- attached to the Hammersmith end as the, ha- yeah. right, the Hammersmith end, right? Um, so we've got to be very careful because we can't, you know, when someone else dies and we've run out of names to, you know, we, 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 we've just got to be, be, be sure that we're, we're doing this the right way. Oh, I think it's appropriate to take a step back. I understand the people who say we should do X, Y, and Z, and there's no right answer, and it shouldn't be up to me, clearly. Um, so it, it it's just a question of, you know, I would like, I, one of the things I would like to do is, you know, could we name the Riverside Walk that's going to open up? Could we name the Pier after right. George Cohen? Could, could we introduce some more names? You know, could we have... Alexander Mitrovich Avenue or something, a better name. See, better I'm name, all you know. for stuff like uh, that, Dan. I'm Gaw- all for Gaw- that. Gaw- Gordon Davis Way, Bedford oh, Jesard Lane. You know, the kind of, the things that other clubs do, yeah. you know, be- better than we have. You know, are there things we can do? Because we've got an illustrious history and you actually literally have to come to Craven Cottage and ask someone about it before it smacks you in the face. And... Well, I mean, it, uh, and I think there are just little things we can do, but you're constrained by the site, and it's not my, you yep. know, it, the the decision will be for the ownership to make about that. Yep. Um, and I just don't think the time is obviously it's too soon to start saying. It's too right. I agree. Yeah. Im- imperatively do that because we want to see what the family wants to do. And we want to support, and it may be that we can do something really innovative that isn't just a stand renaming but is a real legacy for what the character of George Cohen right. um, that, that encompasses the things he did off the field as well. Uh, very good Dan and I'm glad that you went into details and in your thoughts on this and, and as you mentioned the family are grieving right now so this is probably not the right time to go there 
and let's wait until and talk to them about it. And the club should talk to them and see how they would like uh, Fulham to honor George. And uh, I think you've put out some really good ideas. All right, Dan, before our, hopefully our guest arrives, I do want to talk about the season so far. You also did this on the uh, Green Pole podcast. I feel like I'm copying you a little bit, but I, I, I do want to talk a little not bit so, about the season so far and get your thoughts on it. I'm going to get us started because I, I, I want to give you my thoughts on the season so far and then go to you on this. And this is the way I look at it, Dan. I'm actually extremely pleasantly surprised. Now, what I mean by this, it's not that I didn't think that Fulham wouldn't do well in the Premier League. It's the approach that they've taken it under Marco Silva in the Premier League that kind of surprised me, Dan. And I look back at some former Fulham sides, former Fulham managers, and I don't think they took the approach that Silva is. We're always on the who, front could, foot, who, who, who could you possibly be talking about there, Russ? I, mean, I have I'm, no I'm, idea. I'm, I'm mystified. Is it somebody who's currently out of work? You could know, be. Is, is it somebody who didn't play Alexander Mitrovic? Is it Could somebody be. who likes a jumper and a and a and a smart and a smart coat? Right. No, but in all seriousness, and and you are right about all that. But when I look at the approach, Dan, and I look at the season so far, besides that Newcastle United match, Fulham have been in every single match, and they've also been on the front foot. They have not been afraid. They played with no fear. That is what has made this special special for me this season is that I feel that they can play with anyone, and that includes Man City. That, and I didn't think that was even possible. I know we were up a man for a good portion of that match, but they played with no fear. That, to me, is what separates this Fulham side from some others, and there have been some great sides, Dan. But what I love about this team is that they go into every match with no fear. That's the best way I can put it. And you're absolutely right, but I don't. Uh, I'm I'm surprised that you are surprised. I think what you mean is you're surprised at the effectiveness of this strategy in the top flight, yes. because Marco Silva. I think was that's very the clear. approach, right? Marco Silva was very clear that he was going to do this. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I literally sat and listened to him after the Luton match. I was very very fortunate enough to to hear him at very close quarters that night say that he wanted to. There would be yeah. no compromise in his style he would go for it we would not change anything about our philosophy and I thought wow I mean that's either incredibly bold or we're going to have a similar experience to when we've tried that in the past right and it's to you know it's to Marco's um, immense credit that he's he's done that it's obviously it's the credit of the players it's the credit of the club in terms of the recruitment that they've done um, but it's also about um, the caliber of uh, of the team, um, some of the individuals. You know, we can touch on some people who are performing. Your compatriots are performing exceptionally, unbelievably uh, well, well at the moment. You know, I mean, we do have to touch on Tim Ream, who suddenly suddenly become a goal scoring centre back. I mean, <laughs> amidst everything else, I mean, he hit that half volley. Oh, oh, oh. Still, earlier, 25 years had passed since one thing we referenced. I mean, it hasn't been that long. Um, <laughs> I still wonder if that was like a fever dream. Um, and look, uh, so I'm very impressed with Tim Eam. I'm, I'm massively, you know, Anthony Robinson, both for club and country, has been outstanding. Fantastic, dude. I, 
I can't think of a right winger who, who's had the better of Anthony Robertson in the Premier League. It's difficult for me to find a right winger who's absolutely had him on toast, as the, as the, the British expression is. Right. Um, and you could go right through the team. You could go right through the team and speak about, and we should really, but we don't have time. Um, no. So that that's the most impressive thing. What I would say is we don't leave a job half done. And Marco Silva is clearly a perf- perfectionist. He wants everything absolutely right. And he gets imme- you only have to look at how he... Um, you would have a better sense of this than, than, than I would at the moment because, unfortunately, you're watching... Uh, television pictures for most of the time that you're watching these matches and yeah. when you watch the television pictures you know, Marco shows his frustration with with the officials um, regularly <laughs> he's very demonstrative on the touchline and but the players warm to that and look we've done exceptionally well Marco has been very clear and and the players have been very clear that the job's only half done, you know. Right. They're going to attack the Premier League for the remainder of the season, and the approach is refreshing, and the results are extraordinary so far, even though you referenced the game against Manchester City. That's the one I think Silva got wrong, and he's going to, you know, hunt me down and, and, <laughs> and give me give me grief. The approach after thought, we w- went up a minute, I, I, thought, I agree with I you. I thought we could have been a bit bolder there. Yeah, I that's actually we, a good point. I, I don't know, but there's a reason I'm sitting here and he's a you know multi-championship winning head coach and he's got oh. Fulham in the top half of the Premier League. You know, yep. let's 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 see where we are um, uh, and be quite clear about that. Um, okay. So yeah, look, we're we're just quibbling around the edges. But the 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 key point is when when you listen to Tim Ream and I actually spoke to Tim Ream after the the West Ham friendly and he was very clear that he said that. Um, there was disappointment in the changing room. We're pleased, but we feel like we could have had more points. Right. You know, West Ham away for very obvious reasons. Oh. I'm still angry. I'm still raging about that, Russ. You I should be dead. Uh, I haven't. <laughs> uh, no, that's just not acceptable. Not happy with that. No, I'd like to understand that one. Uh, Arsenal away, I'm still very upset about because I don't believe that the Arsenal winning goal should have stood. There's a foul on there's a foul on Burnt Leno. It's a clear yep. handball, and there's probably a couple of other fouls in there too. And you know he didn't. They didn't. He, the, the the match official was not sent to the monitor for that, and yet the match official on Boxing Day was sent to the monitor to yep. look at what, to my mind, looked like a you know far anyway. It doesn't matter. I don't like VAR because I don't know what. I don't know what constitutes anything anymore. What's a handball? What's offside? What's a deliver? You know, what's a foul? Just right. you know, get rid of it. Then we can <laughs> complain about the referees. We can argue about it, and we can have one of the best traditions of English football, which is we watch the game and then we go to the pub or the cafe or for dinner and whatever, and we all complain not only about the players, <laughs> the manager, but also the referee. Right, right. And the reason, and we can, and some people can. Say erroneously, it will be fine if we had technology, and we know that's not the case because right. fundamentally, this is a this is a means of interpretation. Right. And the beauty of football normally is that the game is the same whether you play on a park pitch on a Sunday, as I did disastrously for many years, or you play in the Premier League, or, and it's just not true anymore because the the, the you know anyway, I, I try, I've 
it says thoughts on the season so far. Well, I suppose they are vaguely connected to the season so far. But anyway, I'll right. ask the next question. Okay, we'll bring on okay. Our, our colleague well, listen, Southampton. Dan, we do have our guests on the line. So I'm going to bring them on the well, line. We're going to talk yeah. about the match now. So I'm going to bring them on with us. And this is Ben. Ben, are you with us? I am. Good evening, guys. Good afternoon. Ben, thank you for joining me and Dan Crawford, who's from uh, com and the Green Pole Podcast. This is Ben from... Total Saints podcast joining us right now. Ben, thank you uh, so much for taking some time to talk about the match. And, and also, we really want your insight on what's going on with Southampton. <laughs> yeah, I wish I knew the answer, Russ, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I've followed them, what, 35 years now. Um, wow. You know, a, a bit like you guys, I'm sure. I mean, there's 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 more downs than there is ups uh, with Saints. Um, you, you tend to enjoy the ups when they do come along. But uh it's it's a bit of a mess at the moment. I think um, you know I can't say I'm looking forward to to tomorrow. I was doing some research for our pod on uh, Sunday night and uh, starting to look back through your your recent results. And uh, you know, whilst we've we've done fairly well at Fulham over the last um, few years, I think uh, it's a a different team that we're facing now. You know, obviously your your tails are up. So as for us, I mean, well, as the famous song says, the only way's up. So we're hoping that that's the case because we're currently the strongest side in the uh, Premier League at the moment, Russ. <laughs> well, Ben. Again, thank you so much for for spending some time with us and talking about what's been going on. I want to start here, and uh, maybe you can fill me in. I I don't follow Southampton, obviously, nearly as much as you do. So I understand why your former coach was sacked, but I I want to hear your view on all this because I was a fan of his. I thought he did an excellent job over the course of a long period of time. I understand that it's the pressure to stay in the Premier League and sometimes you need to make a change. What's your view on his sacking? Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I've got to say, I think Ralph did a, a really good job with us. It was pretty much four years that he was in charge, you know, and, and uh, we were very much, you know, hamstrung in, in terms of the money that we were investing in the side during that period that our owner at that time was um, over in China wasn't for whatever reason, whether he wanted to or whether it was sort of government rules able to maybe invest the money that he wanted to. So, you know, Ralph was kind of working really with one hand tied behind his back almost. Um, I had the opportunity to meet and in- interview him a couple of times for our pod. You know, really nice guy. I, he, he was well known around the club as someone that sort of pretty much worked 24-7 to try and um, turn turn the club's fortunes around. And that wasn't just the first team. That was the the academy side, the B team, things like that as well. Um, I think it's just like all of these sort of things, you know, it just came to that, that sort of, you, you know, every cycle comes to an end, doesn't it? And I think... Right. For, for whatever reason, the results weren't going, you know, his way. Um, I think the players probably let him down to a certain extent. They, they've, you know, they're arguably they're doing that for the new manager already. So there's, there's more to this than there is just Ralph. But I think if you if you sort of look at where the club was when he left compared to where it was now, we obviously had a couple of record defeats during that time, which I won't mention the score. Everyone knows what they were. Okay. He kept his job. He turned them around, you know. So I, I, I think you'd struggle to find one Saints fan that would say he did a bad job. But I think probably... It dragged on six or nine months longer than it should have. And just finally, I think that the difference is that we had some new owners come in January last year. I think they've slowly been getting, you know, kind of their their head around what's at the club, the, some of the, the personnel that are there. You, you know, we know new owners always want to kind of bring in their own people. They've obviously decided to, to bite the bullet with him just before the World Cup and, and brought Nathan Jones in. So sad to see him go. Grateful for what he did. But, you know, a new chapter. And now we've got to move on. Okay, and that's going to lead me to talk about, like you say, the approach, because over here, I'm here in America, and I can tell you a couple seasons ago, 
there was this great documentary done on Southampton, basically called the Southampton way Mm -hmm. from NBC sports. Fantastic. And really goes through the whole history or modern history of Southampton. And I thought, well, this is a way to do it. So now you have new owners. Are they basically scrapping the Southampton way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's um, an interesting one. I, I know the piece you're talking about. Um, Joe Prince Wright, who's a good friend of mine, did yes. that. For, he works for NBC, and uh, he's a Saints fan as well. So I think probably had a uh, you know a bit of uh, uh, passion behind it. But um, I, I I wouldn't say that they're necessarily getting rid of the Southampton way. I, I think what they tried to do in the summer is. Um, you know, we, we've kind of been working on this this model maybe maybe sort of five to ten years ago. It was, it was like bringing the likes of Sadio Mane and Virgil van Dijk, selling them for big money. We then thought, well, let's go up, up a level and try, rather than bringing 10 million pound players in, let's try the 15 to 20 million bracket. But the problem with those players was they were they were kind of already developed or they had a bit more of an ego to them. They weren't really wanting to come. You know, Southampton has always been a stepping stone. I don't think we, you know, we, we see ourselves as anything other than that. It's That's kind of how we entice players in is come and play for us for a couple of years like Van Dyke, like Mane, you know, like like players like that, you'll get your move to the big club. Um but what they've they've tried to do, I think, over the last six to twelve months is look at the the big six, the Chelsea's, the Man Cities, and say to some of their young talent, you're never gonna get game in the first team. Pep Guardiola's never gonna play you. You know, Graham Potter's never gonna play you. Come and play for for us. And that's kind of what they've done. They've brought in you know, Tina Levramento. We had Amanda Brozia from Chelsea on loan last year. We brought in a couple of Man City players. Sam Adozi played at the weekend, looked really good. So it's almost like the Southampton way has become bringing in youngsters from other clubs and trying to develop them rather than trying to develop our own. So you're, you're right. It's changed a little bit, but I suppose the ethos of what they're trying to do is still there. Okay. Dan, I want to go to you. Do you have uh, any question for Ben here? Yeah, I mean, thanks for taking the time and, and giving us the, the Southampton uh, angle. It, it's really interesting because, like everybody else, um, I've been a massive admirer of Southampton and what they've tried to do. And it seems to me there's still there's still a lot of talent in this squad at present. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of James Ward-Prowse. I feel like if James Ward-Prowse was regularly in the England central midfield, then at international level, England wouldn't have had the problems that they... they continually have at major tournaments in terms of keeping the ball and uh, and, and and things like that and it just seems like um, when, you, when you make a managerial change and maybe we'll talk about Nathan Jones in a little bit yeah, there just there just needs to be a period of that but there's still enough talent within the, the squad it feels like Southampton are in massively a, a false position at the moment and with a bit of time it could it could write itself because there's a lot of teams clustered together and it's a very weird season. There are a lot of games left. It feels like we shouldn't be pulling our hair out. I haven't got much hair left. <laughs> so I've support <laughs> I've supported yeah, I've yeah, supported yeah. Fulham for far too long, right? But I, I, I'm just sort of looking at it, and I, I said in an, on another outlet, I, I felt like I watched the the game against Brighton, and I thought, well, blimey, Southampton mm. can't be that bad again. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they really, you know, and I know, you know, I'd seen Nathan Jones at, at Luton and a little bit at Stoke. He, his only win at Stoke was against Fulham, mm-hmm. um, back back in the day. It feels like am I am I being too have I have I sort of am I being too positive here? Yeah, I, I think you probably are, Dan. To be honest, but oh, uh, no. yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think you know some of the some of the points you make are absolutely spot on. Um, I, I I think the thing with with Saints is that. Um, 
they, they really are lacking some leadership and experience. And, you know, I was thinking about your team today, you know, I was thinking, well, you've got Leno, you've got Ream, you've got players like Tom Kearney, you've got Mitrovic, who's a, a leader, you know, as well. We don't really have that through our spine of our team. You know, we, we've got a young goalkeeper in Bazuna who's replaced Alex McCarthy. You know, our centre-backs are changing. It's like a, a tombola each week with, with who's going to play there. James Ward-Prowse is, you know, as you say, he's playing in centre centre midfield, but he's trying to do the job of two or three men in there. So it's affecting his game. And then up front, we've got, you know, Shea Adams, Adam Armstrong, championship strikers. And I, I think that's been part of the problem for us is we don't have the quality. I think Nathan Jones said it after the Brighton game, actually. We're not doing enough in either box. We're not defending well. We're not scoring goals. I mean, I, I was, again, working out today. I think Mitrovic has got, what, 10 Premier League goals this season. Saints have scored 14 as a team, you know, so he's pretty much on a par with, with us. So I think that's been the challenge is that there's not a lot of experience. So when they do go behind, and I was at the Brighton game on, uh, I forget, well, I've, I've lost all track of what the days are over Christmas. I think it was Tuesday, wasn't it? Um, you know, their, their heads were down. Their body language was dreadful. I mean, as soon as the second goal went in, the own goal, you know, you could just tell that they, they weren't going to come back from that. And that, for me, is the, the major issue at the moment. And just, just finally, I mean, again, I was looking at this ahead of our, um, our pod on the weekend. You know, when we got relegated in 2004-05, after 17 games, we had 13 points and eight, eight defeats. If we lose to you tomorrow, after 17 games, we'll have 12 points, which is worse. And we'll have lost 11 games this season. So that kind of tells you where we are versus that season. Good stuff. Uh, right back to you, Ben. I, I do want to focus on Nathan Jones and Fulham do have a little history with him. How has he mm-hmm. been viewed by your supporters? It's, it's amazing. I'm doing. Uh, I'm currently in the midst of writing some questions for Nottingham Forest fanzine for next week, and they've said they said they, they they one of their questions was about them having a run in with him as well. So I think everyone's had a run in with him, haven't they? But uh, um, yeah, um, I mean, obviously, I was surprised when they appointed him. I mean, I mean, I think you know we we thought once Ralph went that uh, I don't think we had sort of uh, delusions of grandeur that we get Pochettino back or a Tuchel or something like that. But I think we felt it would be someone a bit like Wolves with Lopetegui, you know, maybe some caliber and some experience there. Um, so absolutely, I was surprised, but. I, I think you have to, you know, you have to, to put your sensible hat on. The guys had, by the time he's played you, four games. You know, one of those was against Liverpool, so away, so let's write that off. One was against Lincoln City at home, so let's write that off. So, theoretically, he's had two Premier League games, really, to um, start to embed some of his ideas. And as I said earlier, I mean, the players need to, to to pull some of the weight here as well. You know, you can't just keep sacking managers all the time because it's not working. So he's talked a good game so far, Russ. The matches and the results and the performances haven't really backed that up. But it is still early days, so I'm, I'm not going to judge him yet. OK, and I think that's very fair. And I always say this, Ben, I, I like to give players, coaches a chance. I gave Scott Parker a chance and Dan knows how I feel about Scott Parker now. (laughs) I gave him plenty of opportunity, and uh, that's just the way I work. And I give players plenty of chances, and that includes Fulham players right now. There's some that the fans aren't crazy about, but I want to give them a chance. And one is uh, a backup striker. I want Fulham supporters to give him more of a chance before they make a judgment on him. So I'm I'm there with you on a manager. you got to give him a chance before you make a judgment. All right. Coming up next, we're going to break down this match and we will end the show with predicting the match. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, Serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, Nathan, let's uh, get going here. Uh, it, you've already mentioned a few names, but who are your key players in the match tomorrow? Uh, so I would say certainly James Ward-Prowse. Um, you know, obviously he's the, the heartbeat of the team, really. Um, he hasn't been performing particularly well this season, but as I said uh, a bit earlier on in the pod, um, you know, he's kind of been having to do the job of sort of two or three players. Um I think at the back, Mohamed Selassie was at the World Cup for us. You know, he's a fairly solid and reliable defender. Um, you know, he's strong. He's, he's still fairly young. So again, you know, he's learning his way in the, the Premier League. Um, and then I think other than that, you know, we, we, we've we signed players in the summer, for example, Joe Aribo from Rangers. You know, he played very, very well at Rangers, but he didn't start against Brighton. Stuart Armstrong, who's another creative player, didn't start against Brighton. Um he bought both of them on at half time, which kind of told a lot about, you know, maybe making a mistake with his selection in the first place. But I you know, I, I just get the sense that he's gonna go defensive and 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 not want to take the game to Fulham. It's almost gonna be a case of trying to frustrate you guys, I think. So I you know, I was trying to think about this earlier. I I I couldn't tell you now necessarily what front four or five he's gonna pick, but I think Shea Adams will play Russ and he'd be probably the other one that I pick out. He's he's the only real goal scoring threat we've got, um, you know, in our side really. So he, he has a, a habit of finishing the hard chances, missing the easy ones. Everyone probably remember him handballing it in from one yard out at Wolves earlier in the season. So um yeah, so there's there's two or three of them that, that could, you know, will will the others will be relying on absolutely. Okay. Excellent. Dan, I wanna go back over to you because I wanna get players to watch uh, your perspective from a Fulham perspective, who has to play well for Fulham to get all three points? Just to say, Chay Adams has a history of scoring a lot of goals against Fulham. I was going to um, say that, but you stole his, my thunder. From his, from, his Birmingham, from his Birmingham City days, he scored at least four. So, you know, that's something. Oh, I don't know if you're, you're, you're coming down to London for the, for the game tomorrow. Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm not, unfortunately, but yeah. There might be. But uh, that's something to at least cheer your... Um, your, your 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 fellow supporters up. He normally finds that he normally finds he condemned us to the playoffs. Um, we did we did we did, we did go up by the by the playoffs. So yeah, let me actually answer Russ's question rather than um, I look. I think the central midfield is going to be where it's going to be where it's going to be won. You know, to to the point that we've talked about that James Ward Prowse is is water carrying and playmaking and. Um, Every, and trying to uh, embed that sense of leadership into the team, and you can see that he's struggling because he, you know, he's not at the level that he has been. And actually, you know, his level has been exceptional over the last five years mm. or so for Southampton. I, I think that's worth saying. So it's yep. actually a former former Southampton player um, who I was very surprised that they let let go to us in in Harrison Harry Reed, Reed. You know, so, yeah. you know, uh, who's been absolutely and he's com- a completely different player over the last sort of. 12 months for us to the player that we Not saw. Not the same player. I totally agree, Dan. As, as a holding convention. And I was totally against, you know, I'll throw my hands up. I was totally <laughs> against the idea of, 
of reinventing Harrison Reed, who was essentially a holding midfielder, an energetic terrier, into a box-to-box <laughs> midfielder because he went a hundred games without even coming close to, <laughs> you know, the you know, in terms of when he got in the box, and then he scored two goals in in, in five minutes. Um, so Harrison Reed. Um, clearly will be motivated to, to, to play in that game and you know I think he's fit and ready Joao Paulinho is, is arguably the, the signing of the summer for, for Fulham and, and potentially um, uh, the pre- in the Premier League as a whole he's been I still don't know how we managed to prize him away for, for such a small amount of money and to me if you control the midfield in, the, well, in any, any level of football but if you control the midfield that gives you the right to play and be mm. adventurous and that's so key and that's what um, uh, we were talking about earlier with Nathan Jones is he going to put men behind the ball is right. he going to try and for, is he going to you know I, I think that might be the way that Southampton starts initially um but once you you know once you're going you've got those i mean i'm a big fan of stuart armstrong for instance mm. I, you know he scored a fantastic goal for southampton at craven cottage or oh, would be about five years ago now but it was i remember that the three t game great, yeah. it was a great strike um and joe arebo similarly in terms of um in terms of uh, quality that he can take from Scottish football into English football, and you've got to give those players time to to do that. And Joe hasn't either had the time or the the playing time, the regularity of playing time, as as we've referenced. And that's just around that point. I think the central midfield is going to be key. We can also Mitrovic, you know, that's just an easy answer. And I'm not I'm not I'm not going to go there. And also, you know, Mitrovic is not he's not quite right. You know, he's not fully fit, and that is quite frightening given what he did at Crystal Palace. But, you know, what I would say is Crystal Palace were a shambles defensively. I mean, I've not, I haven't seen a team quite as bizarre as that for, for a long, long time. And they did help us out quite a great deal in that match. So, you know, Salisa is a really promising defender. He's got real pedigree. I'm interested to see how that goes, Salisa against, against Mitrovic. And then can Fulham get those runners beyond Andreas Pereira? You know, potentially Bobby decoyed over Reed um, down down the right. Had a really good game at South Park. That those are the players I'm I'm looking at to see if they can replicate those levels of performance because Fulham have exceeded their level over uh, over a long period of time uh, this season. And I'm just you know, it, you, coaches now looking at it know what the Fulham template is. It, it, it's not a surprise. No. And Nathan Jones, Nathan Jones is a very good coach. He did exceptionally well with Luton. You know, he he is a very good. He's very good at motivating players. He gets people all behind him. He just needs, you know, it's the central midfield is the key. If he gets it right, as we talked about, and isn't doesn't make the wrong selection, it could be a long afternoon. You know, and and that I think is Southampton's game plan to start with. You know, quiet in the crowd. It's going to be an emotional day. And uh, quiet in the mm. crowd, frustrate, get people winning tackles, and then get people on the ball. And you know, Che Adams. Yeah, I, 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 I'm tempted to um, to uh, back him to score a goal because it normally comes off. <laughs> anyway, I've said enough. Damn, please don't say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So back over to you, Ben. And uh, I think Dan did a very good job of. Uh, giving maybe a little bit of a blueprint to how Southampton can win this match. So, but I want your view as well. I also want to add this because I think a major key in this match for both sides, it's going to be set pieces. 
Fulton mm-hmm. have been excellent on set pieces. We know how good Southampton can be on set pieces, especially with James Ward-Prowse. So yeah. I think this is a major key to the match. But overall, your view, how does Southampton win this match? Well, I, I think that's a really good point, actually, Russ, because um, I was thinking about this. You know, Liverpool, we lost 3-1. They scored, I think, two, if not three, of the goals from crosses. Um, we then, uh, Lincoln City scored their goal against us uh, from a cross uh, against Brighton, the first two goals at the weekend, both crosses. So the point being, if we want to win this match, we need to defend crosses a lot better than we have been doing recently. Um, you know, I, a bit like Dan said about Che Adams, I, I put Mitrovic in my fantasy team to try and curse him because that normally works. So hopefully that will be one way that we can win the match. But, um, you know, we are going to need to defend well against him. You know, we know he's a powerful um, lad in the air. You know, he's, he's full of confidence. I, I know Dan obviously mentioned he's not fully fit, but he's caused us problems, um, you know, a lot over the years as well so I think in terms of defensive areas we are going to need to deal with balls that come into the box a lot lot better Nathan Jones seems um, keen to play three at the back the Saints team don't seem keen to play three at the back um, centre-backs that is so it'll be interesting to see if he does go with three centre-backs tomorrow or not um, as for the other end you know we, we need to take our chances when we come that's the trouble with Southampton you know we we are only going to create in any Premier League game four or five really really good chances at an absolute maximum we are probably going to take one or two of those at an absolute maximum so when the chances do come along, we're going to need to take them. Um, I think, you know, I, I've said it the last few weeks on our pod, you know, the first goal is is massive. I think if that goes in from your point of view, you can see Saints head players going down, I think, quite quickly. So, um, you know, you're right, it's going to be an emotional day um, after, you know, the sad loss to George Cohen. And I think, you know, that that will be interesting to see how that atmosphere plays out. But I think Saints have just got to focus on what they got to do, which is, as I said earlier, be better in both boxes. Okay, excellent. Back over to you, Dan. Let's look from the Fulham perspective. How does Fulham win this match? I think you've already said a little bit of what you believe the blueprint is. It's in central midfield, but uh, feel free to expand on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I just look at that as a key area because that's the area that Southampton will look to block up because Fulham are only able to play this expansive football because you have essentially, and they're not quite two holding midfielders because neither of them are quite just as... Uh, wrote solely that, but they are. The, I hate the term, but there's the double pivot in in, in, yeah. in a 4-2-3-1, you know. Um, but how how Fulham win this match? Well, we need to put pressure on the Southampton. I found it really interesting. You know, Nathan Jones does play a back three, centre three centre halves. Do Southampton have three centre halves of? pedigree to at the moment to field in that therefore you can't therefore you therefore you can't sure we have one down <laughs> and this is the and this is and this is the problem right so you know there's and they will be trying to find Mitrovic with crosses but actually I think the focus on Mitrovic rather than negate what Fulham have done really well this season which is create problems in other areas Mitrovic is only effective in that penalty box as a predator like he is because defenders are also worried about other people you know if, if you just and we saw it enough in, in previous seasons Russ if you just if Mitrovic is the only one in the box or in, in previous seasons he wasn't anywhere near the box he wasn't even on the bench for some of the time I mean let's talk about the former manager yeah. you know give me strength frankly <laughs> I mean yeah right so you know but the point is getting numbers in the box, more right. more than one, you know, and that's been the, the really exciting thing about watching Fulham is that they've committed players forward. Pereira, um, Harry Wilson has not, uh, he's had a bad injury, so he's not been as effective 
uh, this season or played as much. But Bobby Dover reed has been outstanding, whatever position he's he's played in. Um, and William, actually, you know, um, I was quite withering about the prospect of uh, of reviving William's experiences in English football. And you know, I'm not, I haven't seen a th- we've got Tim Ream, a 35 year old, doing things that you know. 25-year-olds can't do. And we've got Williams seemingly, you know, leading... I mean, he was against, unfortunately, Nathaniel Kleiner, a great Southampton player of mm-hmm. the past. And clearly, he's seen better days um, because William, you know, made him look... I think he's 31 now, Nathaniel Kleiner, and he made him look a, a little bit older than that, really. It's quite sad because I thought Nathaniel Kleiner... remember speaking... Um, Many years ago, and I've commiserated with him by text message about Southampton's current position. And he's very withering about it, and you know. Um, but uh, the 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 key is having, having multiple threats in, in forward areas. That means that you can't just say the opposition manager Jones can't just say to Salisu and whoever else is going to play in his back. It's going to be a back four. I can't imagine he's going to go to a back three um, that Ben's outlined uh, he can't Nathan Jones can't just say look if you take care of Mitrovic that's fine you know you don't need to worry about because we've got too many too many numbers in the in the, in, in the Southampton box and that creates passing angles for people to, to pick out uh, and that's the key because it, Michael Silva wants to play on the front foot right. now that does create opportunities you know if Southampton get through the first 20 minutes they see more of the ball and that's the thing I want. Uh, being, you know, Southampton traditionally, you know, they've come to Craven Cottage and put on exhibitions of passing football in the mm. not too distant past, and we've been embarrassed several times, um, and, and also at St Mary's, um, uh, in, in the way that they can control the game, and that was what you were referencing with the Southampton way and and some of those methods of play, right? And I do think that's still there. If you can get Rebo, Armstrong, Ward-Prowse, strong technical footballers to use the ball, the, the building blocks in place, if they can get through the first 20 minutes, I think it becomes a, you know, I was reading something in the newspaper in a newspaper today that you know this is just going to be, this is one of the easiest games of the season for Fulham. <laughs> just right. I don't see it that way, Dan. Well, I, I, no, neither does Marco Silva. It's very interesting. He completely demolished that question. That, you know, this is a great way to see to round off 2022 as if you know. These journalists have never seen, never had any experience of watching Fulham. We're, we're great at surpassing expectations <laughs> in the worst possible fashion. You know, you think, oh, well, we've beaten, we've done really well, and then we'll fall over at the final hurdle when it's, you know, when it's right in front of us. And I, I do worry about a lot of people just saying, oh, effectively, we only have to turn up and Southampton have been so dreadful. You know, and that's very dangerous. This is an important game for Southampton. I think it's important for Nathan Jones for the reasons that Ben has outlined. Yep. He needs to start showing what, you know, because otherwise it's very difficult in the January transfer window to persuade the players of the calibre that he needs. We know this from the last mm. two, three times. How many times have we been relegated? Four times? I can't remember. Oh, no, I plenty. Yeah. yeah, no, but I'm saying, like, <laughs> the January transfer window is your salvation as a club yeah. that, that, that needs recruits. And Southampton will need new players because Jones basically came out and said, I haven't got the quality yeah, yeah. Yeah. to put on the pitch. So this is an important game for Southampton. It's a massive game for Fulham as well. Yeah. And we, we've got to approach it in that 
with that mindset that nothing is won. You win it on the pitch by the way you um, by the way you play. You've got to earn the right to play in every single game. Okay, excellent, Dan. All right, guys, let's end the show with uh, your predicted starting eleven and also your prediction for the match. So, Ben, I'll go to you first. Give me your starting eleven and a prediction for the match. Sure. All right. Well, I I think let's let's work on the proviso that he's not had enough time on the training ground since Brighton to to sort the back three out and things like that. So we'll we'll assume that he's going to play four at the back. So um, Alex McCarthy, I, I think, has still got a niggle. So I, I I think he would have changed goalkeeper actually. But I think Bazuna will be in goal. I think Walker Peters will be right back, probably with uh, Salasu. And uh, I think hopefully Belakot Chapel, who, who's German international, will be fit. If not, Lianco played against Brighton, so I'd imagine one of those two. Raymond Perot is pretty much one of the, the few left uh, footers we got in the, the the squad at the moment, so I expect he'll be left back. <laughs> Centre midfield, obviously, it's going to be James Ward-Prowse next to him. I mean, it, it, it's genuinely, it's hard to tell. I mean, it could be Ibrahima Diallo, it could be Joe Rebo, it could be Romeo Lavia, who was pictured back in training today, but hasn't played for several months either. Um, you know, So again, I, I would imagine he will probably stick with Diallo. And then the, the front sort of um, uh, four, so I, I think, Sam Adesi played really well against Brighton, the youngster left wing. I think he'll probably um, quite rightly be deserving of a start. Um, I hope he plays Stuart Armstrong sort of in what Ralph would have called the 10 in the hole there, um, because I do think we need some creativity. I think Mohamed Al-Yunisi will play right midfield because whilst he isn't um, overly exciting footballer, he does work hard in terms of defensive. And I think that's, again, thinking about shoring up. And then I think Che Adams will probably play up front on his own. And I think, you know, just to finish, I, I, I think we kind of need to, you know, hope a little bit that Fulham kind of almost follow what Dan's just said there, that they, the mentality of that team tomorrow for Saints' point of view is that they turn up thinking these lot of bottom first goal, you know, will cruise to victory, that sort of thing. And I think we just have to hope that, uh, you know, Saints have, have got a little bit more grit uh, amongst them and, uh, you know, catch Fulham on an off day. So I do think it will be hard. I'm reading some of the comments here. I think there's a few of your uh, viewers that are fairly confident as well. But, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I think Saints will be better than they were against Brighton, but I, I think they'll probably get edged out 2-1 personally. Okay, excellent. All right. Dan, over to you. Give me your starting 11 that you think Marco Silva will go with and then also your prediction. I do know your prediction from the green poll. So, uh, again, I already know it. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, not, I'm expecting I you to stick I can't with yeah, I, I'm nothing if not consistent. I did say it was no. going to be my my, my co-hosts, uh, my my colleagues were much more optimistic than I, um, <laughs> and they both predicted wins. And I'm nervous about this game. But the the, the main host of our, our show last night, Alan, um, he said it'd be a nervy one nil possibly if you know if Fulham can. He was nervous about, it. and we didn't talk about it beforehand. And I have an iffy feeling about this, and I went for one one because yep. you know. I remember Christmas games against Southampton. There were a couple, um, a couple of draws when we were down in the down in the doldrums. And then I remember that that year we bought um, Mitroglou onto the pitch, and then Southampton oh. beat beat us three 0 in a very ruthless display. I mean, that's the kind of that thing. Was Pochettino, was. I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it yeah. was. And what a manager, if I might say. Just right. And look, I think Marco Silva will pick the same team. Russ, do you want me to list the eleven? I mean, no. I I think yeah. everyone knows the same team. Yeah. The only thing I want to ask you, Dan, about this, and I'm. All four the the same starting eleven. Who's going to be the player to take the uh, shirt from uh, Bobby Decadovereed? Because I don't see anyone being able to do it at this point. Well, it's interesting. I mean, look, 
I, I, I'm of the opinion that Bobby deserves running the, running the team because he's one of those yeah. great players. If I can if I can throw a Southampton parallel in there, he's the Chris Baird of this side, <laughs> right? We ended we, we we took Chris Baird from Southampton. It was quite acrimonious at the big at the beginning of um, uh, that that transfer took a long time, and uh, you know Baerdino as we ended up calling him because um, he scored a couple of screamers at Stoke. Um, he started as a right back, then he was a, and he was really a centre back at Southampton, and he played right back for Northern Ireland. So Laurie Sanchez tried him at right back and wasn't good. Um, then he suddenly popped up as a holding midfielder of great repute. Then he became a playmaker, and we knocked Juventus out of the Europa League. And wondrous things started to happen. Bobby Deckard over Reed has played at right back, <laughs> right midfield, right wing, in the hole, in the in the hole. Centre forward, false nine, left wing. You know, I think he'd play in goal if you. If you I was going to say, he, I think he's played yeah. everywhere but right. That, that's it, right? So, but who are the people to sort of edge him out? Well, you've actually got a surfeit of options. You like, do you know, in in those wide areas. From you know, we do like a winger at Fulham. You've almost got a first team squad full of wingers. Um, you've got uh, we, we've mentioned some of them. William is one. Obviously, uh, Niskin Tabano was in great form until he got injured and. Could play both sides and hopefully he comes back we you know, we're enjoying watching his instagram stories of him uh, keeping his spirits very high during this injury layoff um then you've got uh, the two welsh boys harry harry wilson who i mentioned and dan james we haven't quite seen the best of dan james i'm not ready to um to write him off yet because he hasn't had that run in the team so uh, marco silver does have options in that in those wide areas uh, but you can't drop, you know, you, you, can't, you can't drop Bobby or Deckard over after what he's done. But he might do, you know. He might just make me look silly. He likes doing that, Marco. <laughs> okay, well, I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on the situation with him because there are so many options, Dan, but you can't take him out. And I, when I think of Bobby Deckard over I'm glad that you brought up his name, I think of Berdino. I do. So mm-hmm. it's a very yeah, good comparison. And, uh, and it's also a, a good tribute because... They're both players that are have made themselves very vital to Fulham Football Club. So, whatever you think of Bobby Decadovery, that he he's not a starter at this position at that position, he keeps proving you wrong. So, I think you need to keep him involved until he shows you he shouldn't be involved. So, I'm there with you, Dan. All right. So, Dan's going with one-one. Ben, you, you are what's going your with prediction. A, I'm going to give my prediction. I'm going yeah, yeah, with actually good. Ben 2-1 to one to Fulham. So I'm, I'm going to go 2-1 to one to Fulham. I think Fulham are going to win. Dan, I understand, though, why you're going 1-1. One, one. You're not as, uh, you know, I'm more, I wouldn't say more positive. You you are just a little bit more, you know, cautious. And I, I appreciate that from you. But I'm going 2-1. to one. That's all right. You can disagree with me. It's fine. That's that. That, that is allowed. You know, it is your it show is? after. It okay. is your show after all, Russ. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. Well. Good stuff. Well. Great show, guys. I really appreciate you both uh, joining me to uh, preview this match, Ben. Before we wrap this up, tell us a little bit more about your podcast and how everyone can find it. And also, as uh, I've mentioned on this show several times, we're now part of the Talksport Fan Network. Cottage Talk. So is Total Saints. 
That's right. Yeah, we uh, we obviously uh, joined them what, a couple of months ago, probably a similar time to yourself for us as part of the new uh, fan network, which we felt was a good opportunity. I mean, again, Southampton aren't the most fashionable team in the world, so a good opportunity to maybe connect with a few Saints fans that are dotted around the world that aren't maybe already uh, listening to the pod. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're a weekly show. We're Like you, we do it on StreamYard on a Sunday night and then pop it out as a podcast on a Monday uh, morning. And uh, you can find us on all the, uh, the good, bad and ugly uh, podcast channels that are out there. I won't list them all, but uh, I'm sure everyone knows what they are. Okay, excellent. Dan, as always, thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight. And, uh, Dan, you can always read Dan on com. And, really, a truly wonderful podcast with you and all of your hosts on that podcast, the Green Pole Podcast. I would highly recommend it. Dan, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure, mate. I just want to say uh, good thank you to Ben for, for coming on and, and good luck for the rest of the season. Um, hopefully it improves. You know, uh, we know we know we know what it's like down there. But um, Southampton, when when I was growing up, and it's the 90th minute, and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Southampton were playing at the Dell. They had many a miraculous escape from, uh, yeah, from these I, types I was, of positions. I was, I was going to say, Dan, yeah, we're, we're used to it as well, to be honest. So, yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but a happy no, new pleasure, year. Pleasure, yeah, pleasure to talk to you, babe. Happy Thank new, you. A happy new year to you, and hopefully 2023 is very much better than, than what's, what's preceded. A happy new year to you. Russ as well and all, all your listeners and uh, great. I've had great fun uh, talking to you both. It's been brilliant. Thank you. Oh, great, Dan. Thank you so much for saying that. Well, it is time to wrap up this episode of Cottage Talk for Ben from Total Saints Podcast and Dan Crawford from TheHamian.com. I'm Russ Coleman. Thank you as always for watching and listening to Cottage Talk, now part of the TalkSport Fan Network. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.